You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey. Welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I'm sitting down with Megan Gerber. Meg is a functional medicine dietitian, best-selling author, and the founder of Grounded Nourishment. Meg specializes in working with individuals who struggle with cognitive digestive issues. Through her own journey of digestive struggles and autoimmunity, Meg has learned the power of being in your body and listening to its needs. Her number one best-selling cookbook is available for purchase on Amazon, and her expertise has been featured on podcasts such as Dare to Move and Grassroots Functional Medicine. And I am just excited about the conversation we're going to have today. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Erin. So grateful to you for having me. Yes. And as I mentioned before we started recording, I was able to get a hold of your cookbook and look through and kind of read your story and what you have been through on your own road to healing digestive issues and dealing with autoimmune conditions and things. So I just wondered if you would share a little bit of your backstory, because I think it's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. I think like so many people who end up working in the healing space, I have my own journey that kind of led me down, um, dealing, being the healy and then the healer later on. Um, and the biggest part of my story, I think I want to touch point is when I was told I had celiac and had that official diagnosis, it was kind of fed to me that the answer would be you go gluten-free and you get better and that magically everything just turns around. And I actually found that things got a lot worse for me after that diagnosis, mainly because of the stories that I really started to tell myself around celiac and being alone and isolated and frustrated and really kind of fighting against my body um, rather than the perspective shift that I have now, which is really working with and honoring my body. Um, and that the, the energy around those words I even find are just so different when you think of like, I'm fighting my body and then I'm working with and I'm honoring. It just sounds different. Um, and so I had really a journey that started with lots of different holistic types of remedies, but I was still working in the conventional, like right out of school hospital space. And I found that like what I'm kind of told to preach is not really what I'm practicing and not really what I'm feeling the difference in my own body. So, um, I find that now in my practice, that is kind of a clinical basic knowledge as a registered dietitian with functional medicine, deep dive gastroenterology, functional nutrition certifications. I then blend that with the nervous system work that made such a deep impact on my body. Um, most predominantly really relearning how to breathe and then cultivating a regular parasympathetic breathwork practice has been a big secret sauce item. I love that you mentioned that because I'm a big fan of discussing all things nervous system because mm -hmm. it is, it is a huge deal. So we have something like a celiac diagnosis, right? And, and that impacts the gut on every level, but we also have the stress of being diagnosed with a yes. chronic condition and that stress impacts the gut physiologically as well. Can you share how stress would impact our physical health? 
Yeah, it's a huge digestive impactor. And so the way I like to explain this to clients, because I think a nervous system is something that like a lot of us are talking about. And I have clients all the time be like, wait, what do you actually mean by the nervous system? I really explain it as like, it's your body's safety danger monitoring system. It's like the total body monitoring system. And it kind of chooses based on what it surveys in the environment. We are safe and we're okay. And we're in danger. We're not okay. And what can happen over time with, yes, things like trauma, but even these little T's like working with a diagnosis that feels isolating, um, the body is constantly kind of registering that it's in danger. It just gets caught in that danger, sympathetic nervous system loop, which is that kind of what we talk about as classically fight, flight, or freeze. And, um, the parasympathetic on the other side of the loop is the rest and digest mode. And that's where I want to get clients in a state where their nervous system is more often in parasympathetic, because I think we can go overboard with this. It's not about just being a Zen Buddha who's never in sympathetic. Like there's use for that as a human to respond appropriately to environmental issues. But um, we want to have be pulling into that rest and digest more often so that that beautiful symphony of digestion is working appropriately because really what's so cool to me and empowering is that the cephalic phase of eating, so that's like your brain phase of eating, upregulates digestive flow, like digestive juices, like your stomach acid, your digestive enzymes, your bile flow by 20% when you're engaging with it. And that is such a beautiful thing to me because you don't have to buy anything. That, I love that. It's like, we just need to be getting into that mode of, I like to tell people use my rule of threes, which is three deep breaths, three times per meal, because just that breathing kind of gets us a little more present because how many times have we eaten a meal and been like, I don't even remember just chewing that or what I even just ate <laughs> right. a few hours ago, you know? So it's about really getting the brain into this phase of like, I'm not on my computer anymore. I'm not yelling at my husband anymore. I'm like in mm -hmm. eating mode and ultimately the beautiful, pleasurable experience that is food that gets bypassed by a lot of our kind of autopiloting through life. Um, and that in itself, just getting in that mode can help upregulate even just digestive secretions in the mouth. So salivary amylase helps us break down carbohydrates, even just the second we kind of put things into our mouth and that can easily get skipped over. We get a decreased or lack of output in someone who is just living in that chronic sympathetic mode. Um, and so it's almost another reason too, why I'm not a big fan of someone just slurping a smoothie down. I'm a big smoothie mm -hmm. bowl fan because mm -hmm. it gets you engaged in chewing. That's kind of another way we can hack that brain body digestive stress system of yes, breathing and getting present, but also slowing down, chewing well, thinking about the act of swallowing these things that our body just does on its own, which is awesome and wonderful, but to be present with it really helps those who just tend to struggle with digestive issues. Yeah. Ooh, you touched on so many things that I love about all of this. So, I mean, it's, it's so what you mentioned chewing a smoothie, I think that's really true. Like just the act of, I tell a lot of people, the only thing that you can control with digestion is how much you chew really the rest mm. of it's kind of left and, and how you smell it, like you said, and how, how you're engaged and all of that. But as far as the actual act of digesting food, chewing is about it. Everything else we're left to the mercy of our, what state we're in. Are we in sympathetic? Are we in 
parasympathetic, you know? And yeah. so I think that that's a really big deal. And I love the the deep breaths. That's a big deal as well, because we need oxygen to digest our food. So what, what are some ways that, that you can help people or, or when we're just talking about digestion, right? Like mm-hmm. I know so many people are struggling with digestive issues, but to wrap your mind around this, you know, fast food mentality that, that we have yeah. to wrap our minds around something opposite, being able to sit down and take time. But people are like, I don't have time to sit and eat a meal. I have to mm-hmm. eat a smoothie on the go. I have to have a bar in my car on the way to work or whatever that is. How, how can people make time to slow down and make the practice of eating an actual practice? Yeah. I love that question because we're all humans, right? Like I'm not sitting down for an hour at a time to eat every meal. I'm also a human running a business. So I think finding those little spaces in the day to cultivate some level of presence. So if you are in the car drinking a smoothie, for example, can you just take one extra second before you start to take three deep breaths, that rule of threes of just like, can you pause for a minute and take three deep breaths to just say like, okay, here I am. Maybe it's cultivating gratitude of like, I'm so grateful. I have this yummy food to drink. Maybe it's like, I'm just happy. I have a little extra time and space to do this. I see the sun shining outside. And then when you're drinking the smoothie, if you can't do a chew, you know, smoothie bowl, can you chew it a little bit in your mouth? You know, you're going to be having it anyways, but just a little bit of even that act of mastication and chewing. I tell people 10 to 12 chews per bite, which feels disgusting for people. It's <laughs> it like does. kind of liquefying <laughs> your food in your mouth. Um, so if anything, just kind of starting with like, let me chew a little bit more than I, I, I normally acknowledge that I'm even chewing. Um, and then in addition, I love for people, if it feels unrealistic to make time, say they're not somebody who cooks every night. Can you maybe just start even like this new year out with just, I'm going to cook one night a week when I haven't ever been someone who's cooking. And maybe that's also something that it's kind of a two for one of you're engaging and doing it with your partner. It's like a way that you guys can kind of reconnect at the end of the day or with a child. Um, And that practice of cooking, the beauty in that is that it does have an element of being cephalic, meaning that brain phase, it starts to engage the senses, the smells, maybe you're tasting a little something as you're, you're cooking. Um, that cultivates that practice of just being a little bit more present. It's hard to be like on your phone texting if you're engaged in trying to chop things and cook. So I like to sort of cap it into what we're already doing, where it's like, can you do a little bit more chewing? Cause you're already going to be eating anyways. We have to eat to survive. And can you maybe just pause maybe the rule of threes, which is three deep breaths, three times per meal. That feels unrealistic. Just start with the three deep breaths at the beginning of the meal. Can you just cultivate that like two feet on the floor, sitting down? That's another little tip. Sit down when you eat. I really, really love to remind people of that Mm -hmm. because again, it engages the body in what we're doing. Um, And I know I was even listening to one of your your episodes recently talking about the migrating motor complex, which Mm -hmm. I'm super passionate about because dysregulation in that MMC is one of the main, I feel, if not the main reason why we see so much SIBO, CIFO, um, just, you know, bacterial overgrowth issues with digestive insufficiency when things aren't appropriately being swept and moving along because stuff sitting too long in the digestive tract that just 
reminds me and and I bring up the analogy of like it's old trash sitting out it that is. hasn't been <laughs> you know swept up yeah. and and critters come in and things that aren't supposed to be there come in and so it can set people up and predispose them to problems later down the road so I really love to I call it gut rest more than fasting because I think for some I people like it's like a little bit triggering sometimes mm. um and as you probably are aware too it's different for men and women and I really like to just say as a blanket statement most people just generally with the research and just in practice, do well with 12 hours overnight of gut rest, have herbal teas, have water, have Mm -hmm. lemon water, but just giving your gut that time to take a little break to rest and prepare overnight can also be a beautiful add-in to support digestion. Yeah. Ooh, I love that. Okay. Gut rest. That is so, cause fasting sounds so, first of all, it kind of sounds extra and trendy and everybody's using it in a different way. And then there is, it minimizes, I think, for thousands of years, the spiritual side of fasting that many, many different um, people groups have done over time. And I think that that's powerful too. So I like gut rest because then it's like, well, we are doing this for gut health, for the digestive system to cleanse. Yeah. And then you mentioned the act of cooking. And I think that this is important to touch on as well, just the preparation piece of cooking food. Even if you just do that one night per week, because you're, you're going to, digest and absorb differently than if you're at a restaurant, they immediately set, I'm in Texas. So they immediately set chips and salsa in front of your face. Right. And so, so you're just shoveling the chips and salsa from the get-go. You're not smelling, you're not really taking time to taste. You're already starving. So maybe there's a little bit of that primary phase of digestion happening, but maybe we're just shoveling food in without thinking about it. Whereas when you're at your house and you're propping or propping, I said, prepping and chopping, that's like, I, I blend I it together. It. <laughs> when you're chopping and prepping <laughs> at the same time, you're giving yourself a chance to smell and taste and build up those salivary digestive enzymes, all of those things that you're talking about. And that makes a huge difference. So I think even to start thinking about it differently, like how is my brain preparing for this meal and in between meals, how is my brain preparing for food for the next meal by giving my gut a rest. I think that that's powerful. It's totally primal too, right? Like I think about it in many aspects of our lives that like, typically it doesn't feel good for most of us to rush into something like the smoothie is a great analogy because it's just hitting your gut with something and there's like no preparation. It's just flooded. And even similarly in like sexual encounters, typically Mm -hmm. it's like our body needs to be kind of warmed up into Mm -hmm. it. Or it's like the little bits through the day that your partner does for you kind of Mm -hmm. warms you towards that. And so it's kind of similar in that primal way of like, of course it makes sense that we wouldn't just shovel down a bunch of food. We want to kind of acclimate, but our society because of convenience sake has sort of shifted away from that. Yeah. And it's a good way to show some self-compassion to say, I'm going to take this time so that my body has time. It's another way to partner with your body in spite of your diagnosis, in spite of your uncomfortable symptoms. But I I just think caring for your body in this way is so powerful. Mm, Agreed. And with that being said, this is a really great place to pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Every Plate. As we have been discussing just the act of mindfully preparing a meal and smelling a meal and engaging with your food is powerful for your health and your digestive system. And Every Plate is America's best value meal kit. I often talk to a lot of my coaching clients about using a meal kit to help get started with healthy habits. A frequent complaint that I hear is that it's expensive. 
With EveryPlate, meals are 25% cheaper than grocery shopping, so you can count on great value week after week. Plus, you only pay for what you need with pre-portioned ingredients. Put the money you save on groceries towards achieving and maintaining new fun resolutions. Choose EveryPlate over takeout to save money while still enjoying quick, satisfying meals. Every plate meals are 58% cheaper than your average fast casual meal. You get more bang for your bite with America's best value meal kit. You can customize every plate meals to your liking with options to swap proteins and sides or add a protein to veggie dishes each week. You do you. I love the freedom with that. Every plate provides plenty of delicious varieties so your taste buds never get bored. With 25 tasty and affordable recipes to choose from each week, it's easy to find something for everyone. Plus, find delicious options all day long with up to 22 sides, snacks, desserts, and more. In my every plate meal kit delivery, I received recipes for honey garlic chicken, Cajun chicken sausage hash, and French onion chicken. All three of those were delicious and so easy to prepare. One night, my husband did the cooking. Another, The other two nights, I did the cooking. And then, you know, we kind of helped each other out along the way. But I loved trying new things that I had not tried before, such as making a Cajun chicken sausage hash with sweet potatoes and white potatoes. And the French onion chicken featured the most delicious caramelized onions that I have ever made before. I know we definitely saved money and time on putting together groceries for that week. And we even had some leftovers that we could have for the next day, which was awesome. Get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com podcast and entering code SPARK149. You can get started with EveryPlate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com podcast and entering code SPARK149. That's up to a $110 value. I love using EveryPlate and I know that you will too. Now, let's get into this whole topic of gluten. I know, Meg, that you have a diagnosis of celiac, but I also know that there are some people that struggle with gluten, gluten sensitivity that may not be diagnosed with celiac. So can, can we just have a conversation? What's the deal with gluten? Yeah, I get this question so often because I think it feels controversial to some people. It feels frustrating to a lot of people. And I think the 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 first answer to that question is really that the wheat of today is a highly processed hybridized form of wheat that is not even the wheat of like our grandparents. It's just not the same. Um, and it's really difficult to digest. It's harsh on our bodies. And um, we have seen, there is a researcher out of Harvard who actually, he was kind of the founder of this, this um, entity called Zonulin, which is essentially this protein that gets released in response to anybody who eats gluten releases this Zonulin and it causes some level of intestinal permeability or leaky gut per se in all individuals. But the way window is different for everyone. For some people, it's like only a few seconds that it causes that leaky gut response. Whereas in, you know, somebody else, it may be causing like a year's worth of a sort of leaky gut intestinal permeability response. And you just think about the collective effect of like someone eating gluten at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's hard to kind of understand, okay, what's really this impact over time. But it's something that I'm really present to in the autoimmune space being specialized there because zonulin and that intestinal permeability picture of how that plays in and impacts the immune system 
them is look is being looked at as a root cause behind a lot of these cases of auto autoimmune that are constantly growing because what can happen is we have one cell layer in certain areas of the intestines where if that's leaky and those tight junctions between the cells are opening, then you've got these food particles leaching through that aren't supposed to be in the serum. And so the body's reacting kind of self versus non-self um, through that like molecular mimicry response of like, okay, is this supposed to be here or not? It starts attacking itself. So I think that's one big piece to the puzzle of just like the gluten we have now. It's why when people go to different countries like Italy, they don't have this highly processed hybridized wheat that we have. So I find that not necessarily for celiacs, but a lot of gluten sensitive people do better eating over there because it's just a different, more ancestral per se wheat. Um, and then I think the other piece of the puzzle is now some of the research coming out with glyphosate, which is that active ingredient chemical in Roundup. Um, the the pesticide or the the weed killer um we're finding that that triggers a zonulin response in individuals and dr zach bush is like my favorite person in the space to talk about this picture of just how this creates that um self versus non-self reaction where we can start to attack ourselves with that intestinal permeability picture. Um, and so now that we have glyphosate on board with having a similar zonulin reaction, it's difficult to know because the wheat crops were one of the most readily sprayed in the early nineties with glyphosate. Mm -hmm. So it's tricky because you're kind of getting a double whammy of like, when you eat wheat, you're also ingesting glyphosate most of the time. We can be pretty sure of that. And so it's kind of like, is it the wheat really affecting people? Is it the glyphosate? I even as a practitioner question that, like I, I like to work on glyphosate and, and detoxifying from that with some of my clients, as well as looking at the gluten picture. But I do just find that a lot of people do better on a lower gluten or no gluten diet with significant digestive issues. That's really like the subset of clients I work with. Whereas if I was seeing the general person who's feeling really vibrant and well, I'm not necessarily always saying go gluten-free. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, beyond wheat, there are some of those other crops, things like oats and beans that are also pretty glyphosate contaminated. Yeah. And so it's just, it's interesting kind of without fear mongering people, because I don't think that's ever the goal. It's, it's more about like, okay, we have this knowledge living in the U S it's not about avoiding glyphosate. Unfortunately, it's in our food system. Mm -hmm. It's about reducing it and what we can do to really partner with our bodies to keep that load on the liver and that toxin load on the system lower. So are there other things in your kind of toxin bucket that can be reduced so that there's, there's not this extra load of like all of that and glyphosate mm -hmm. on top of it? Yeah, absolutely. So what you're saying is wheat, just by nature of what it looks like these days and, and the nature of the protein zonulin can create leaky gut and intestinal permeability, but then you add on glyphosate and that's a double whammy and glyphosate yeah. is in a lot more than just wheat. And I do want to share real fast for listeners, just because, I mean, for some people, they're gonna be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glyphosate, whatever I Googled it. And it's, it says that it's fine. There is an article from 2013. I was nerding out on this just like in, in recent weeks. So I'm so glad that you brought up glyphosate. It's called glyphosate pathways to modern disease. I can put it mm. in the show notes, but basically yeah. it talks about how it creates an imbalance in gut bacteria. It reduces bifidobacteria and lactobacillus. It inhibits cytochrome, cytochrome P450 enzymes, which is needed mm. for liver detoxification, yes. creates deficiencies in iron, cobalt, 
copper, and the amino acids, tryptophan, tyrosine, methionine, selenomethionine, which we need for methylation, mm. for mental health. It also inactivates vitamin D3 and impairs bile acid synthesis. So just that is from the research. So obviously you have done tons of research, but that's just one of many articles Landmark talking study. about, yeah. yeah, about glyphosate. And so this is a big deal. And that is really a reason why we should be going as much as we can organic with a lot of these processed crops that we consume, right? Yeah. I have a post on my Instagram where I talk about this, where I'm just like, cause I think a lot of people are like, Oh, now that I know this, cause a lot of people are like, I didn't even know this. I like to use my voice to like kind of help people understand yeah. how big of an issue this is. And I have a post where I talk about like, what can we do about it right now? Cause there are things that you can do. Yes. You can use your voice. Yes. You can sign petitions and donate. And I I'm passionate about that, but also just supporting local farmers is really one of the best ways for generative agriculture and local farmers. When you can find, um, for example, I love certain meat companies like Force of Nature Meats who are regenerative agriculture focused, and um, you are ensuring a better product for your body and also for the land, because um, it's it's fascinating to me that really when we we shift towards regenerative agriculture that actually repairs the soil on a deeper microbiome level, it also uh, replenishes it with minerals. And it's why in my practice, I'm super passionate about testing minerals. And I see so much mineral deficiency. Mm -hmm. Yes. Stress has an impact. Yes. Toxin load has an impact, but, um, we're not getting the innate mineral capacity in our food system that we used to get because of these forms of monocrop agriculture that just deplete the heck out of the soil that translates to our food. So, um, I, I, I really think that that's like a, as a consumer where we can start is like, yes, organic local, and it takes the middleman out too. When you can get from like that local farmer of like, they're getting all of your dollars for what they're putting back into the land and how they're supporting your body. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's important because, and you're right. I think a lot of people, especially anybody who grew up, you know, 80s, 90s, right? Like, oh, well, I was fine. Everything was fine. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. My kids can eat what I eat because, or what I ate, because it's, it's the same. It's all, but it's not the same. A lot has changed with the way that our food has grown in the 90s and early 2000s and 100%. continues to change. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I love that, that you mentioned that. So how would somebody know if they have a gluten sensitivity? How would that manifest mm. for them? Yeah. Good question. It's tricky because it's very wide. It's, it's kind of just has widespread symptoms. Um, I would say in my practice, like many times I have clients who are coming to me that they've already noticed sometimes when they eat gluten, it just makes them feel a little wonky and whether that is digestive symptoms. So in, even in celiacs, I've seen everything from, it makes them more constipated or it makes them have diarrhea. I think everyone assumes it's like diarrhea and vomiting, but that's not always the case. A lot of my journey was like chronic constipation and bloating and just abdominal pain and acid reflux, um, just because it's causing damage to that small intestine and intends to have more of this widespread inflammatory response. Um, brain fog is a big one and that's mm. hard because that's common in a lot of things. Like somebody who has, you know, <laughs> 
know, like mold toxicity is going to have a lot of brain fog, but, um, that's actually the more common thing I see in like cross-contamination and celiacs or even gluten sensitives who are highly sensitive. Mm-hmm. That's the symptom. That's like almost more debilitating. I think personally, it just really kind of, um, screws your day and week up. Um, but also joint pain is one that I see as very common, especially in the people who are spectrum autoimmune because, um, Hashimoto's and lupus and, and rheumatoid arthritis, I find that people do really well off of gluten just because those have a similar manifestation in the body, um, autoimmune in general, just a lot of people do well off of gluten. Um, but it can be widespread. I will say in my own diagnosis, it wasn't like I ate gluten and got sick right after that helped me know that that was probably going to be the case. It was more once I finally swept kind of the, the chalkboard clean. And then when I had contamination episodes, I really noticed it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, that's similar to my journey of, of going off of gluten and then oh, just trying it here and there and seeing what happens. And then it's a no, it's always a yeah. no. I always think yeah. I'll be okay. Even with the organic wheat. And that's the thing for me is I'll try, like, maybe it's the glyphosate. Maybe it's just that, but I definitely believe it does contribute to enhanced intestinal permeability for me, just on a variety for skin and brain issues, not digestive for me. And so I think it's important yeah. for people to see that my kids, same thing. I notice difference in um, behavior when mm. they are off of wheat, but the issue that we have encountered, and I'd love to talk about this is bread. You know, people have a hard time understanding how to live without bread. And mm. I, in my gluten-free journey, I would prefer to not have bread than have gluten-free bread because I haven't found one that I like the ingredients or that I like how it tastes or whatever, but, um, are there options that, that are similar or what are some ways that people can get used to this idea of not having the squishy, soft, doughy, you know, donuts and cakes and brownies and all of that. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I really like to take an abundance mindset to eating gluten-free where I don't feel like I have to live like deprived of taking all the the yummy gluten things away. I've gone on a journey of seeking out breads and I, I feel pretty confident in my recommendations. I'll share them with you. Um, because some people, yeah, want to get rid of everything and they just feel better on like the starchy veggies and the, the really whole food nutrients. But there are a couple of brands that are really whole food ingredients. One that I love is called bread. Seriously. Have you heard of them? I have not. I, in your book I did. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try. Yeah. So it's a sourdough. I love them. I've, Mm -hmm. I've, um, I'm a big fan of this company just because they're transparent about ingredients. It's really simple and it's a gluten-free sourdough. And so sourdough, whether it's gluten-free or gluten-based is just far easier to digest because think of it sort of like sprouted nuts in the sense that like some of those, um, phytates that in the grains have been broken down, just making it a little bit easier for you to absorb the nutrition out of it and break and break things down. So I love a sourdough just being in that kind of fermented food category, um, makes things more bioavailable to your body. And theirs is like a chewy sourdough. So this is what I, I really missed having like a chewy piece of bread that you could dip in olive oil and herbs with, or like alongside a cup of soup. Like I just missed that nostalgia and this has fulfilled that for me. I mean, I order this regularly all the time. We made a French toast casserole at my Christmas breakfast with that. Um, and it was just, it was super yummy and they make a couple of different flavors and kids really like it too. So I buy from them and pre-slice it and keep it in my freezer and it lasts super long. Um, and then I also like simple needs. Have you heard of that? I have, they've popped up in my Instagram ads. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, 
that's less, I would say less like nostalgic, like bread seriously is just chewy, yummy sourdough. Um, bread simple needs is similar kind of sourdough flavor, but I like it better for like an avocado toast. Cause I feel like as gluten-free people, we get gypped in with these like teeny tiny mm. toasts. And this is like a bigger piece of toast oh. that holds up and it toasts super well. And for sandwiches and toasts, I like that as the alternative, whereas I like the bread seriously for like the chewy crusty loaf of bread okay. kind of thing. Yeah. So I'd be curious. I'd love to hear from you, Erin, once you try these, like how, if they feel kind of nostalgic and, and, um, good and, and like a nice replacement mm-hmm. because it's totally a balance, but I, I like that those aren't super processed. Like the simple needs isn't, it's also yeast free. So I like that for my clients dealing yeah. with candida and, um, people seem to really like it. I love it. I order from them all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Cause that has been a struggle. I know, especially for my kids, when we have tried going gluten-free, the gluten-free bread options, they just don't, they don't like them unless it's the um, one that, Oh, I can't remember the brand. It's like a Hawaiian sweet roll. Um, it's a tiny little piece of bread, but they've made it super, super sweet. So of course okay. <laughs> the kids yeah. are like, Oh yeah, this is, this is great for my sandwich, you know? So, um, but yeah, I definitely want to try that. They, my kids love sourdough as well, regular sourdough. Mm. And that does kind of diminish I mean, I I've heard all sorts of various things about whether if you're, you know, if you don't have a gluten allergy or celiac, that it can diminish the gluten load on the body. I'd love to know your take on that. Yeah, it can. It totally can. I am definitely confident in that, that just because, um, because of that fermentation process, it's breaking down some of that like gliadin gluten component, mm-hmm. um, making it just more digestible and more bioavailable. So for a non-celiac, I'm definitely a fan of like, if you could get a local sourdough, ideally something that's like an heirloom or einkorn cracked wheat, um, that's one of the best things that I would say, like, I like to think of like, okay, there's better forms of gluten better forms of gluten to choose and then really highly processed forms. So something like a cheese, it is like my, my least favorite form of gluten, but something <laughs> like a really whole grain sourdough is an awesome option to try for people who are like, I'm sensitive, but I kind of want to integrate some. Yeah. And those options are available. And that's what, you know, I think until, unfortunately for most people, it's not until they really are noticing issues or they get a diagnosis that they start to make changes but we can make small changes, even if we are not, if we don't have an official diagnosis, right? Like if we just have some digestive disturbances, not quite sure what's going on. Would you say that going gluten-free would be a good option to try for a brief period to see if that resets some things? Like what, where would, where would people go if they're feeling like, Oh, I think I have this generic IBS. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, it's, I like what you said there, because I think like diagnoses many times feel like people have gotten their answer. And I'm always like, IBS is not your answer. It's a very umbrella statement and it doesn't really actually solve the problem. Like, I think people feel better when they get a diagnosis because it kind of acknowledges and honors that they've been feeling something is off, but it's not an answer to the problem going on. It's not like the root cause. I actually like to start everyone with looking at what can we do to support the nervous system? Because it's interesting. I think a lot of us live in the space of autopilot where we don't actually know how to work with the feedback our body's giving us. For example, a lot of us just go throughout our day, ignoring a hunger cue, ignoring the fact that we're tired. We just keep going steamroll throwing 
funneling ourselves with caffeine. And that in itself is hijacking your body's innate feedback system. Mm -hmm. So I like to get people back to how do we start to re-listen in a way that doesn't feel crazy. It's not like we need to go, oh my God, every single symptom, my body's off, but just in a way (laughs) that like hunger does mean something. And if you're not hungry, that's probably a sign. If you're not hungry in the morning that you've hijacked that system for so long that you've Mm -hmm. shut it down. And now your body's like, and I'm not, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to give that signal because it's not going to be, it's like cry wolf. I'm not, they're not going to respond. Mm-hmm. So I like to get people back to a place where like that natural circadian rhythm is really honored and listened to in some capacity so that you can be this really um, advocate of your own body and the feedback system is honored in the right way and, and you're listening appropriately because I think it's hard to jump to dietary things when someone, and this isn't everybody, but when someone has just already hijacked that system and they're not even sure how to tune into their body. And so this isn't fun and sexy for most people because everyone wants a supplement, but a plan. Everyone wants a plan. <laughs> everyone wants a plan. Everyone wants to restrict and take away. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I really <laughs> like to look at what can we add first? Because adding a morning stillness practice in some capacity has a lot of power for people with digestive issues. That could be literally two minutes of you sitting in your bed and just doing some deep breathing. That could be you taking a little more time to be able to poop in the morning instead of rushing Mm -hmm. through your morning. That could be sitting a little bit longer with your cup of coffee or tea and just taking a couple deep breaths and just, or being present with your partner in the morning. It may look different for everyone. It could also just be a mindful walk outside, which I love because that's like, cortisol awakening response supportive to get that light exposure and it's easing into the day rather than like getting an IV of coffee first thing in the morning (laughs) and just like jumping into calls and being on that blue light and stimulation. Mm -hmm. So it's less fun for people, but that is why I have my grounded membership. That's basically like my version of holding people accountable to stress management. It's my monthly uh, guided breathwork sessions, kind of breathwork for digestion, my signature style of parasympathetic breathwork, and then 40 videos that they can go on. And if they want guidance for this like morning breathwork practice, they can have that there. Um, So this looks different for everyone. It's not that everyone needs breathwork, but I think just starting with that stillness where we're like taking the time to be a little quieter and tune in with the body, which feels totally opposite of what society preaches. Like we're in that hustle culture, girl boss culture of like, just keep going and you can do all the things. And like, I just don't, I'm not available for that. I don't um, subscribe to that because I also want to really practice what I'm preaching to clients, what I feel works and honors my body so that I can heal other people with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it's so it's one of those things. It's the freest thing you can do learning to breathe. Right. As far as it doesn't require any tools, it doesn't require anything, but just your presence, like that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's the hardest thing to do. And, you know, you mentioned maybe not everybody needs a breathing practice. I kind of think everybody does. They they probably do. We don't know how to breathe. No. And, and honestly, if people are listening and they're like, okay, what does she mean by that? One of the greatest ways to start is just taking both of your hands over the low belly, right under the belly button, spreading them out, pancaking them out, and just putting your two feet on the floor and letting that low belly relax. Because how many of us suck that area in and just hold it in and seeing if you can just on your inhale, 
Fill the low belly like you're filling up a balloon, nose all the way down to navel, fill it up, and then exhale, slow, controlled, relax it back down, the belly button comes back down towards the spine. And I like people to just start with that of like, can you feel the low belly fill like a balloon, forcing it, just gentle, coming back down. And that can be a cool way to just start to tune in and, and be the observer, not the judger of like, mm-hmm. am I doing this right? Oh my God, I had all this tension. Wait, I suck at this. It's interesting to start to notice that noise. That's mm-hmm. something I work on with my clients of like, let's just be in noticing of that. Um, just so that over time we can reprogram some of that of what we're telling ourselves, because that's, that's a whole total piece to the journey as well of just like mm-hmm. being more of the observer of how can we notice what's happening versus like, Oh my God, am I doing this right or wrong? Yes. I love noticing being curious and not judging because we're so mean to ourselves. And even like, especially if you're dealing with a diagnosis, any kind of a chronic illness of any kind, it's like, you're hearing all these voices externally about what you should do. But sometimes the more powerful voice internally is just a constant, like, Oh, can't you, you had that bite of gluten or you had this, or you had, can't get this right. Or you didn't have your, you know, whatever. We just become so harsh and judgmental with ourselves instead of stopping to go, well, wait a minute. That's interesting. I must be really stressed, right? That's kind of my default to myself. It's like, gosh, am I stressed right now? Am I tired? Did I sleep last night? I'm being real mean to myself. Right yeah. Now. And you're just able to, to notice, to notice instead of just that default, because that's what we do for whatever reason. And so I really appreciate yeah. taking the time. What, what you're saying is to take the time to tune in, notice and partner with your body instead of restricting, punishing, you know, let's get rid of all that, you know, strict AIP. And I know for some people that has a place, but, um, AIP for listeners, autoimmune protocol, this, that's kind of a, it's one option when you're diagnosed with an autoimmune it's an, disease, and it's but it can tool. be very difficult. Yes. I like to look yes. at these things as like, these are tools that we can be reminded right. of, of when we listen to the feedback and it's like, Oh, I'm in a flare right now. I'm not doing so hot. Maybe that's a short-term tool. Right. I use AIP when it's like, I'm in a bad flare and I just mm-hmm. need to really work with my body and support it. I use that as like, I'm adding this in to help myself. It's not a forever thing because mm-hmm. yeah, we beat our body up with our thoughts. That mm-hmm. is like, that was a huge part of my journey. Just like waking up and really physically beating down my body with what I was saying to myself, it has such a physical energetic impact. And so how beautiful when we can see like the empowerment around how I can actually advance and heal and support the healing by shifting my thought patterning. And I'm a big believer of like, our thoughts aren't going to physically heal everything, but how much more powerful the physical work of the diet, the supplements, the testing can be when you're working with it, with your thoughts. Mm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every cell in your body is listening to your thoughts. So mm. <laughs> that's so good. So tell me, um, as far as like what you work on with clients, tell, tell us a little bit about what you do and your programs that you offer and your website and all of that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I am a functional medicine dietitian and um, I work one-on-one with clients, but then I also do a group program called the Stressed Gut Solution because 
I found in practice that I had a lot of clients that had a journey similar to mine where their thoughts were stressing them out. Their narrative around their healing journey was highly stressful and kind of causing a bigger impact. Sometimes even working with a functional medicine practitioner who was like driving their stress up more because they were like, (laughs) go keto and add 10 supplements and do this. And I'll see you in eight weeks. And it was just overwhelming the living daylights out of people. Mm -hmm. So I like to kind of pull that curtain back a little bit to just say, you're your body's best expert. And I want to remind you of that. And I want to remind you of the healing alchemy power you have within, within these practices, but it's a matter of just taking the time and and presence to really reteach and recalibrate and practice because just like it's a yoga practice, a meditation practice, breathing is a practice. It's not a perfect, it takes time. We can't just go to the gym once and pump a muscle and expect the muscle is going to be built. Similarly with breathing, that's the case. So I, when I, when I started this practice in 2020 and came out of just kind of broad spectrum, spectrum, functional medicine, nutrition, I was really intentional, um, about, I don't want to just do the functional medicine nutrition. I want to really gently force everyone into doing the nervous system work alongside, because that's what I found really shifted things for people Mm. and really allowed them to spread and fly their wings away from me eventually, because even though I want to have clients and have a robust practice, I also want really people to be able to self-sustain and be done with me at a certain point and be empowered in that place of like, these are my toolkit items. I know what foods, supplements, and lifestyle practices work for me of even when the healing journey isn't always linear. And I remind people of that. Like I still have sometimes a bad day where I just like, I traveled to Mexico. I got sick there and I was able to come Mm. back and be like, I know what my toolkit items are. I know what I can do here. I am going to be fine. You are a resilient body. You're going to get back. You're just in a little bit of a rough Mm -hmm. spell. So what I do is really, yes, we deep dive the nutrition and we do all sorts of things. I'm really passionate about talking about bitter foods and gallbladder support and bioflow. That's something I'm super passionate about for women because our hormones play a big role in our gallbladder. Mm. I think it's a missing link in conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in addition though, we do some functional testing, things like GI map stool tests, Dutch complete hormone tests, as well as really targeted supplements. So I don't like to start people on supplements right away. I like to get really intentional um, and not overload people with them. Cause I think a gut overloaded with supplements isn't super mm-hmm. supportive either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do HTMA hair mineral testing as well, because that is a fun way to really see acutely how is, what is the last three months of stress and, and how is that playing a role acutely on your mineral levels? Um, because we don't make minerals. They're not like certain vitamins. Mm -hmm. Like we make vitamin D in our skin. We don't make magnesium. If we're not ingesting it through our food system, which a lot of us aren't, then we're not, it's not there. And we are more deficient in it than ever. It plays a huge role in things like anxiety and mental health, as well as gut issues. So, um, I love to get really fine-tuned with minerals because I think it excites people because there's so much we can do with food and, and beverages um, with repleting minerals as well. And um, and then in addition, we do some private breath work in session just so that you know everyone can really feel that say, I call it like that alchemizing feeling in their body of how they can really state change by using these nervous system practices. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that sounds incredible. All that testing is so, it can be so helpful for so many people. And so I love that you offer that plus just that targeted support as to nervous system. What did you say? How did you phrase it? You said you, it's like a gentle, like dive into nervous or 
Well, I say I gently force people. You gently, oh, that's what it was. It was a gentle force. That's what it was. I liked that. Which sounds strong. I mean, because I think a lot of people are like, I know I have stress, but like it's it's hard. This is the hardest part of the work, to be mm-hmm. honest. I think it's actually easier for a lot of my clients who have had these long journeys and are generally pretty motivated. It's a lot of times easier for them to do the nutrition or take supplements, but committing to the nervous system work is harder. So I like to kind of really be that accountability partner for them and, mm-hmm. and fight it off in smaller pieces of like the win here is being consistent and realistic, not meditating for 30 minutes a day. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. Well, this, this has been so fun. I really wanted to ask you more about bitter foods, but that's okay. We'll just, we'll <laughs> get the book and, and, and read all about bitter foods. Cause you did have, have a good section on the book in the book about bitter foods. And I think that that's something that we do tend to avoid and not really, I mean, I got for new year's Eve, I had this whole like veggie charcuterie and I had watermelon radishes. Mm. Those things have a bite to them. And I was going crazy on them. And then, you know, of course I'm like, well, what is this actually doing? Well, it's great for building stomach acid and for, you know, for all sorts of, like you said, all sorts of really important processes. So I'm going to be getting more of those things as I can find them because they're hard to find. But anyway, you have a great section of that in the book. So I'll just encourage listeners to get the book and lots of great recipes as well, or to check out your program that you have. And so um, Mm -hmm. my last question though, I don't want to forget to ask this is the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would that be? Mm, My, my piece of advice for that is the rule threes. I just, I love to get people doing that tangible breath work at mealtimes of just stopping three deep breaths before your meal, three deep breaths in the middle somewhere, put your fork down, pause, and then three deep breaths at the end and get your kids involved. Kids and partners actually love, I I, um, love to have people just talk to the people about what they're doing because many people have digestive issues and this is like a really easy win and you're going to be eating anyway. So might as well just add that in. And it's a beautiful way to cultivate a breathwork practice and tune in to your individual body in that stillness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, there are a lot of people that have digestive issues, all ages, all stages. It is prevalent. And so what you are sharing and doing is so important and so necessary because a lot of people like my daughter would just went to a GI doctor and he's like, I don't know, I guess, guess it's like IBS. I don't, can't tell you what to do. And that's, and that's, distressing. And I know not all GI doctors are that way. That was just Mm -hmm. my personal experience with one that Mm -hmm. as a parent was frustrating, but it's empowering when we do have Mm -hmm. the tools and that's what you're providing. And that is super helpful. So, Oh, tell us your um, website, social media so that people can follow you. Yeah. And I always want to remind people in those situations, you have options. There's so many options available and it's advocate for yourself and work with the right practitioner. It's just so important. Um, they, people can connect with me. I would really encourage my Instagram. So it's at grounded nourish. And I post a lot just in real time and things in my daily life. It's very authentic. It's literally me handling that Instagram account. So, um, we can connect there. My website is www.groundednourish.com. Um, my website was just redone and she did an incredible job. I just absolutely, she did a gorgeous job. So people can check things out there as well as like free recipes. So if somebody doesn't want to buy the cookbook, maybe they can also just get free recipes, free resources on the website, connect with me there. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. This has been such a good conversation. I, I mean, 
like I'm just aligned with everything that you've shared. And I think listeners mm. will be as well, because it's, it's helpful information that is like I said, empowering. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, Erin. So grateful to you. I agree. We are very aligned on many fronts and I appreciate <laughs> you. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.